Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 3rd. Thomas Piketty of École Normale Supérieure in Paris and Emmanuel Saez of the University of California at Berkeley have estimated that the top 1% of taxpayers accounted for 16.1% of reported income in 2004. Their estimates are behind much of the clamor about the ever-widening income divide in America. Today, senior fellow Alan Reynolds dissects those numbers. Your recent op-ed in the Wall Street Journal argued that frequent complaints about the top 1% in America taking in an overwhelming portion of national income are actually false. What accounts for this exaggeration? They're not counting all of income. Most obviously, leaving out Social Security, leaving out income that's not reported on tax returns. Pension fund income, for example, or if you have a trust fund, leaving out people who don't file a tax return, legally or illegally, there's some of each, and leaving out the fact that not everybody tells the exact total truth about how much money they make on a tax return. We have a measure of income. It's called personal income, and it is 34% larger than the measure used in the denominator of these 1% ratios, which are not government numbers anyway. They're just a private study. Are government transfer payments such as Social Security included in the Piketty-Sayas numbers? No, they're not. That's the point. See, you're counting. I mean, obviously, most transfer payments go to people who are far below 1%. 1% get very little of that, some Social Security checks, but it's a small, tiny piece of their income. So by leaving them out, pretending Social Security is not income, even though it's taxable, even though people live on it, you are automatically overstating the share going to the top 1% by understating the share going to the other 99%. How does the marginal tax rate over time affect income tax filings? When the tax rate fell from 50% at the top tax rate in 1986 to 28% two years later, suddenly there's this big surge in the share of income showing up on the top 1%. And in the numbers that are being cited by Thomas Piketty and Emmanuel Saez, their number goes up by four percentage points in two years. That's obviously not a change in equality. It's a change in the amount of income being reported. What happened? One of the most obvious things that happened is that people stopped filing business income under the corporate tax, put it on the individual tax. Now it shows up in their data, but it didn't mean people are any richer. It just means they changed the way they were filing their income. But isn't it problematic to compare tax returns for the past 30 years anyway, considering that today the middle class saves a lot more in IRAs and 401ks, which is non-taxable income that doesn't get reported? Yeah, absolutely. The problem is that when we saved in the 60s and 70s, and I was around in those days, for college, for our kids' college education, for retirement, all your savings were taxable. And therefore, they did show up in tax returns. That is to say, interest, dividends, capital gains. Today, more and more of the middle class savings are being in 401ks, IRAs, 529 college savings plans. So if you look at tax returns to see how much money they're making from investments, from their savings, you're not going to see very much of it. So it just doesn't make any sense to compare. There again, the denominator is understated. Personal income picks up a tiny sliver of this. They pick up some of the dividends and interest, but they don't pick up any of the capital gains that are being reinvested year after year and making our accounts grow. Tell me a little bit about your new book, Income and Wealth. Well, this Wall Street Journal piece comes out of Chapter 5 of that book and out of a paper I'm writing for the Western Economics Association. But it's just one chapter out of many. And the book is basically dealing with the growth and distribution of income and wealth. All of the issues that are constantly in the headlines. You will read that 
income of average families hasn't gone up in 20, 25 years, a ridiculous statement on its face. But it comes from not understanding what do they mean by average? Do they mean median or mean? What do they mean by family? Are they counting single peoples as families? How do they adjust for inflation? There are good and bad ways to do that. They greatly change the numbers. All sorts of problems of that sort. People talk about stagnant wages. I can't find any data that show wage stagnation over the past five years, certainly not if you include benefits, and yet that phrase is constantly mentioned. So this is a college textbook, very readable one to be sure, and it was written to clarify and, if you will, debunk a lot of very badly misunderstand numbers. If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional, one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.